0: Welcome to the City Life Lansing Podcast. You are loved, you belong, and you have a unique purpose from God. You can connect with us at CityLifelancing.com. You belong here. Here's today's message.
1: Sabbath is a practice from the way of Jesus by which we
2: cultivate a spirit of restfulness in all of our lives. It's a rhythm that God the Creator built into the fabric of the human body and creation itself. Every seventh day, we stop, rest, delight, and worship. Sabbath
1: is for all of us in every stage of life and in every season. Through Sabbath, we say yes to the easy yoke of Jesus and find rest for our souls.
3: So my name is Jaren Oda and my Sabbath rhythm usually looks like a Google calendar indicator going off saying, bring the chips and guac. So I go ahead and I do that, I head over to this family's home who's become literally like a second Ohana to me. So I've been doing Sabbath with them for a couple of years. And I'll walk in there with my goodies and we'll welcome one another. And then uh, the first and I think one of the most important things we've been doing is Literally taking off things like our watches or our phones things that would remind us of stuff that we need to accomplish or produce or remind us of even honestly the anxieties Or things that are going on in our lives and literally set it aside in this box And we even have a chance to like write down things that our minds Maybe have been ruminating on from the week and get a chance to write our fears write our anxieties and write our worries And leave them in the box for a time and that box goes away and then we get a chance to read a psalm together around the dinner table with some candles that are lit and share a wonderful meal that everyone's contributed towards and that usually leads us into just unstructured time of conversation and relationship where we get to just be with one another and i'm just going to be upfront: sabbath in practice at first is difficult but when it becomes routine you really start to yield some of the beauty of it so Routine has helped me in the temptation to remain uncommitted to the practice. And uh, I just, I don't know how else to say it, but when you surrender to the fact that we, I, need routine to position myself into something good, um, that's where you begin to experience the life of Sabbath in the midst of temptation to not do it.
2: Hello, everybody. My name's Jerome. We are completing our Sabbath series today. And though we'll complete the teaching, we are just beginning the practice for so many of us. And so there's an invitation to just start where you're at. And today's the exclamation point where it's all about God. And to get there, there's a four-step formation that can happen in our lives. We got to stop. Just say no. Rest. Rest. Receive what God's already done. And then delight, take pleasure in God and ultimately worship. But if you find yourself like me at some level, we are kind of transactional by nature, meaning our relationships are conditional. And so we sometimes project that on God. Meaning, hey, God, what have you done? Prove yourself real to me. And if I'm going to trust you with my whole life, I I need to see, I need to know. And I pray today that something happens by the end of our time together, that we move past what God has done and we just look at who he is. And who he is fleshes out into what he's done. Sinners saved by grace. My mistakes met with his love, compassion, mercy. The character of God is perfect. Psalm 37, 4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And we want to be, okay, give me my heart's desires. Because you're God. What if today? Because he's God, that's more than enough. A question we might find ourselves on this journey is, okay, well, what's the meaning of life? Well, this isn't a new question. All of us ask it all the time, either subconsciously or conscious. And in Matthew 22, Jesus answers this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and with your mind. So in essence, the whole total being of us to be fully surrendered in awe of God. And how can we love him? Well, Scripture, to interpret Scripture, God is love, and he first loved us. This is good news. And then you see the action response is the greatest and most important commandment. And the second is like, love your neighbor as yourself. So we find ourselves, we're about to enter a teaching video uh, from Practicing the Way to conclude today. It'll be a 20-minute lesson, and I don't want us to take the bait to check out because it's a video. Some of the most powerful moments of my life have either been a podcast, a video, where I pause and I marinate, and they have, they have baked this dish so well that we thought it was so fitting to just conclude with another teaching video here um, with Practicing the Way. And last scripture I'll read before I exit and we watch and then I'll be back um, is Romans 1. The opposite of worshiping God is to worship what's created. And Romans 1 is one of the most sobering chapters in all of Scripture. And verse 20 says, For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, being God, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. So this idea, God, prove yourself. He just is. It's already been done. Look out, look around. 21, for they knew God. They did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened and continued, verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves in this last verse. So they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. I will say there's a warning when we read that in our context you might instantly feel a level of shame. Oh, I'm not, if I'm not worshiping God, the state I'm in is hopeless. And so, therefore, I should be forced into because God's the better way. And I pray that we don't read it that way. We just recognize that when it's not its proper order, what's created is not meant to be worshiped. I can't uphold it. But when we see the creator over what's been created, now everything's in its pro- appropriate position in our lives. And as we look up to God today and think of what he is worth, the awe of him, we don't want to exchange this glory that we're going we're gonna to be caught up in awe for all of eternity, worshiping, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Amen. Enjoy this teaching.
1: Hello, friends, and welcome to our last session of the Sabbath practice. I can't believe it's already been four weeks. We pray these early Sabbaths have been a delight, and the last Sabbath especially, and the Sabbath meal was a highlight.
0: Even though we have arrived at our final session, this is just the beginning of a lifelong journey into Sabbath. If you stick with it, Sabbath will slowly but surely change the trajectory of your entire life. What is your Sabbath
4: like? Here's what Sunday is like for a lot of modern Western Christians. You stay up late on Saturday night watching a movie or TV or going to a party. You overeat, possibly overdrink. You wake up Sunday morning in a bit of a fugue and rush out the door to church in a hurry. That is, if we go to church, more and more people don't. After church you go shopping or watch the game on TV or work around the house or in the yard. Maybe you get ahead on email and plan out your work week or you meal prep or you do homework or whatever. Then you watch another movie at night and go to bed too late. To clarify, that's not a Sabbath. That's what the late pastor Eugene Peterson called a bastard Sabbath. The unacknowledged offspring of the ancient practice from the way of Sabbath and the modern secular day off. It's what people in our church have taken to calling sabbish, meaning kind of Sabbath, but not really. Because we've been teaching on and practicing Sabbath for so many years in our church, it's woven into the culture of our community. But as you can imagine, people are all different places in their practice. It's common to hear someone ask, how was your Sabbath? And then hear, oh, fine. I slept in. I read scripture for a while. It was quiet. Then I had to catch up on laundry, organize my garage, and work on my taxes. But then I had a great afternoon. I binged all of season three of whatever on the couch. It was, you know, sabish. How do we keep Sabbath from becoming Sabish, from becoming just another activity on the weekend? As we've said, through this entire practice, there are four movements to the Sabbath stop, rest, delight, and worship. In our final session, we come to what is arguably the most important of all four. The Sabbath is a day for worship. Now, where does this idea come from? Let's read one last time from Genesis 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it Holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Notice two things God did on the Sabbath. One, God blessed the seventh day. We covered that in the last session. The word blessed or barak in Hebrew can also be translated to make happy the Sabbath. It is a happy day. But secondly, God made it holy. I know holy is very religious sounding, but stay with me because this is fascinating. In the ancient Near East, the gods were found in the world of space, not of time, just meaning they were found on a holy mountain or in a holy temple or in a holy cave. So you would expect God to make a holy place, but instead, God makes a holy day. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel called the Sabbath architecture in time. And said, the Sabbaths are our great cathedrals because for this God, the one true creator God, the entire cosmos is his temple and there is nowhere he is not. So if you want to find this God, you don't need to climb a mountain or travel to a shrine. He's all around you. You just need to stop and rest and delight and come awake and alive to who he is. What exactly does it mean to make a day holy? In Hebrew, the word holy is kadash, and it literally means unique or special or uncommon. Theological definition would be set aside for God's special purposes. We tend to think of holiness as a moral descriptor, as a way of saying something or someone is good or evil. And in a sense, it is. Contrary to our humanistic culture's view, goodness, or what the ancients called virtue, has always been a minority position in society as a whole. As Jesus said, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The narrow way of Jesus is holy. It's uncommon goodness. But holiness isn't just a moral word. In the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, there are holy pots and holy pans and holy utensils for the tabernacle. Now, a fork or knife can't be good or evil, but it can be set apart for God's special purposes. In that case, just for worship in the temple and not used for family dinner on a Tuesday night. Growing up, I remember my grandparents had a set of fine china. My grandfather used to travel to Japan for work a few times a year, and over the years, he collected a beautiful set of high-quality Japanese china. It was kept in a special piece of furniture called a hutch with glass windows to display the plateware. And it was only brought out on special occasions, Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner or a celebration. Then they had a whole other set of plateware that was for everyday use. That was much cheaper, it was more hardy, it was easy to replace. The china was kadash. It was holy. It was set apart for my family's special purposes, not used for everyday life. What my grandparents find China was to daily plateware, the Sabbath is to the rest of the week. Holy, set apart. But the question is, for what? Or better said, for who? If your Bible is still open, turn over to Exodus chapter 16. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 23, Moses said to the people of Israel, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Note that phrase. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. So the people rested on the seventh day. Notice the phrase, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. That can be translated set apart for the Lord or dedicated to the Lord. The Sabbath is an entire day that is set aside, not just for stopping or resting or delighting, but for God himself. Put another way, it is a day for worship. Now, a lot of us hear the word worship and we think of worship by singing at church. And that is an example of worship. But worship is so much more. In the biblical sense, to worship at its most primal level is to orient and reorient your entire life around God, our creator and our center. It's to lay your entire life before him in love and to deepen your surrender to his love. One way to do that is through worship by singing. But there are so many more ways, giving our time, our resources, our attention, and our affection to God in prayer, yielding our will over to God in decision-making. Anything we do to center our life on God and to intentionally direct and redirect our heart in love toward His glory in the language of Scripture, just meaning His goodness and His beauty, anything we do like that is a form of worship. Yes, the Sabbath is a day to stop and rest and refill our tank. And yes, it's a day to delight and throw a party and celebrate and feast. But above all, it's to contemplate the good news that God has given His life to us in Jesus. And now it is our joy to give our life back to God in worship. It's a day to deepen our communion with the deepest reality there is this is the final and most important movement of Sabbath worship. And in my experience, there is a progression that I observe my own soul go through on the Sabbath. First, I stop. Then I begin to rest, I fall asleep, I have some time, my energy starts to come back. Then I begin to have enough energy in my tank to delight, to really just savor goodness. But as I delight, I almost can't help but burst into spontaneous worship and gratitude and praise and wonder and awe at the goodness of God. By the end of the Sabbath, I often find myself on a quiet walk or with my family, just looking up the sky and quietly saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Not because I'm Mr. Spiritual and certainly not because I'm a pastor, but because I made space for my soul to come back awake and alive to God's goodness. Ruth Haley Barton, in her chapter on Sabbath in her book, Sacred Rhythms, writes I know what it's like to rest for hours until I have the energy to delight in something good food, a good book, a leisurely walk, a long awaited conversation with someone I love. I know what it's like to feel joy and hope and peace flow back into my body and soul, though I had thought it might never come again. I know what it's like to see my home and my children through the Sabbath eyes of enjoyment. I know what it's like to have rest turn into delight, and delight turn into gratitude, and gratitude into worship. This is one of the many reasons that, for most of you, Sunday is by far the best day to Sabbath. For over a thousand years, Sabbath and Sunday worship were synonymous. Only recently were they separated, but they were intended to go together. And the tragic way the Sabbath has been co-opted by the weekend, from a day of worship to a day off, goes to the heart of the matter. The Sabbath is holy, but we have to keep it holy. Holy. In the Ten Commandments, we read, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The Jews don't talk about practicing the Sabbath, but keeping the Sabbath, meaning keeping it holy, keeping it set apart for God's special purposes. They call this sanctifying the day, treating it as special and unique and not like the other six. You see, we can either sanctify the Sabbath and keep it holy Or we can, in the language of Scripture, profane the Sabbath, meaning we can devalue it, dishonor it, treat it just like any other day for doing as we please. What about you? Do you keep the Sabbath holy or do you profane it? What about me? Because ultimately, this isn't about a day, but about your life. Remember, all the practices of Jesus are a means to an end. The Sabbath is a day of worship by which we cultivate a spirit of worship in all the days of our lives. Is your life holy? Is your life set apart for and dedicated to God and his special purposes in the world? Is it a life of uncommon goodness? Or is your life, is mine profane, common, following the broad path that is all around you? My aim here is not to guilt trip you into going to church more often or doing all sorts of spiritual disciplines on the Sabbath. It's just to drive home that the Sabbath is of life or death importance. Followers of Jesus, as you know, disagree about whether or not the Sabbath is still a binding command. Whoever is right, it's one of the Ten Commandments. And all of the commandments of Scripture, but especially the Ten, are put there to guard you from death and guide you into life. As Moses said of the commandments in Deuteronomy, I set before you this day life or death, choose. Keeping the Sabbath is arguably just as important as not lying or stealing or killing. It is of life or death importance. Our culture is killing itself through overwork, overconsumption, overactivity. We are, as Neil Postman famously said, amusing ourselves to death. Few things are as desperately needed today as the recovery of the ancient practice of Sabbath. The Sabbath is a means by which we enter into what Jesus called the kingdom of God or the reign of God. It's a day when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Theologians point out that the Sabbath is a signpost that looks both backward and forward in history. It's an aftertaste of the Garden of Eden and a foretaste of the New Jerusalem. When we gather for the Sabbath meal around a table with the multi-ethnic family of God, not just friends, but family, kin, brothers, sisters, bound together not by blood, but by allegiance to Jesus the Lord, our host and our honored guest, we eat the bread, we drink the wine, and we give thanks and sing and laugh and dance and celebrate and revel in the sense that all is well. When we do that, that is not just a sign of salvation, That is salvation. Here's Abraham Joshua Heschel again. Unless one learns how to relish the taste of Sabbath while still in this world, unless one is initiated into the appreciation of eternal life, one will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. The essence of the world to come is Sabbath eternal, and the seventh day in time is an example of eternity. On the Sabbath, we are practicing eternity. And what makes the Sabbath such a joy isn't just good food around a table of family and friends and time off work to sleep and rest. It is God Himself, the Trinitarian community at the center of the universe who radiates love and joy and peace. This is what we crave deep in our being whether we put the name God to our ache or misdiagnose our desire for God as a desire for someone or something else. The danger of last session's teaching on the Sabbath as delight is, as with all ideas, the enemy is constantly at work to warp and corrupt good ideas from reality to parody. We can easily be confused in our hedonistic culture into kind of thinking that the Sabbath Rather than a God word day of joy, is a self centered day of pleasure. But anyone who has ever tasted of true delight and the joy of God as the Creator intended for the creation, you know there is a chasm of difference between delight and pleasure or hedonism. Delight is meant to draw your whole being to God in joy. Pleasure is just trying to make your body feel good. You don't walk away from pleasure feeling profound gratitude. You just walk away wanting more pleasure. But there is a kind of light that is virtually indistinguishable from worship. To end, the social critic and novelist David Foster Wallace in a famous commencement address said this about worship. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, and always on the verge of being found out, and so on. The question isn't, do you worship? It's who or what do you worship? And if we become like who or what we worship, as all the great wisdom traditions have long said, then what kind of person is your worship forming you into? You will worship something. You will orient your life around something. Put your faith, hope, and love onto something. Find your identity, community, and a sense of meaning and purpose and even morality in something. You will pursue it, sacrifice for it, discipline yourself for it, love it. The question is simply, what? And no matter how good or noble a pursuit is, the moment we elevate a created thing to a place reserved for the Creator— we immediately ruin it and in doing so, ruin ourselves because nothing can bear up under the weight of our worship other than the Father and the Son and the Spirit. All week long, the false gods of the world lure us out of our circle around God in a kind of orbital decay, invisible yet pulling us down with power. They all promise us rest and a sense of joy Yet all they give is the weariness and emptiness of soul the Western world has honed to perfection. On the Sabbath, we come back to what the Quakers used to call our holy center in God. This point, deep within all of us who have been baptized, who are in Christ, where our spirit is in communion with his spirit, where we're not even sure whose anymore where we draw on the life at the heart of the Trinity itself and give our life back in return the Sabbath is a day for worship
5: Sabbath is countercultural because it asks you to stop and if I've noticed anything from my workspace or Culture, it seems like the hustle is glorified. It's almost like if you don't stop, then how will you get your dreams, which isn't actually true. So I feel like Sabbath says no in a very rebellious way, but in a gentle way, because it says no, I refuse to be a slave to my desires. My biggest motivation to continue Sabbath is who I'm becoming. I find that I'm becoming a more restful person. I pay more attention to my surroundings and I don't always get that right because some weeks I'm like, that wasn't really restful, <laughs> what should I do next week? That's different, you know? But I think choosing to engage and choosing to come back, I do find that I'm becoming more like him. I'm not in an uber spiritual way, but in a I'm facing myself way. Like oh, this thing is hurting you, you should probably process that with Jesus so he can meet you where you are. But I, I love what I'm becoming. I feel like I'm more reliant on people as well. So my Sabbaths are a mix of time by myself and time at the table with uh, Sabbath kin. So it looks like Friday dinners, eating tam's bread and laughing by the fireplace. So I do feel like I'm being formed by being around people who, whose vision is Jesus, who want to become more like him, who have a fire in their heart for what he's given them. So who I'm becoming is my biggest motivation and the gift of his presence in those moments, especially when the weeks are chaotic. When I just pause, I'm like, everything's okay. He's still here and he's present. So it helps me be in tune with his voice.
2: Before we leave today, we're going to just let the rubber hit the road for a moment where you might be thinking, okay, give me some practical steps. And then I just want to testify before we get out of here and just tell you how the lie of the world has never fulfilled, but entering God's presence through the rhythm of Sabbath has changed my life. And then the worship team's going to come up, and guess what we're going to get to do today? Worship, (laughs) because today's worship. Get it? So (laughs) tutorial section, some steps no matter where we're starting at, check it out.
0: Sabbath is
2: a day for worship.
0: For our final week's exercise, the plan. Number one, to practice a light and life-giving version of what the ancients called fixed hour prayer. All that means is you pause two to three times over your 24 hour Sabbath to pray. By prayer here, I don't necessarily mean intercessory prayer where you intercede before God on behalf of the needs of yourself or others because that is a form of work. For that reason, in some traditions, all intercessory prayer is forbidden on the Sabbath. That may be extreme, but the intent is right. By prayer, I mean a kind of prayer that is more like resting than working. Prayer at its most basic is the reorientation of your heart to God in gratitude and worship.
1: The most ancient, and for many people, including myself, the most helpful way to do this is by praying a psalm. But you can also do this by listening to worship music or praying with a friend or going on a walk in nature.
0: The end goal is to spend as much of the Sabbath as you possibly can in conscious communion with God. Just receiving His love for you and giving back your love for Him.
1: Number two, identify two or three practices by which you enjoy God and do them. It's key to discover what Gary Thomas calls your spiritual pathways, the way you're uniquely wired to enjoy God. For you, this could be time in the quiet, alone stillness, or it could be throwing a rowdy party with your community. It could be walking in nature or reading a novel by the fire. It could be an emotional experience, or it could be study of theology or reading of philosophy.
0: However you enjoy God, whatever the practices are for you, that when you do them, you just love every minute. Do a few of them this coming Sabbath. For those of you doing the reach exercise, this week's exercise is to spend an extended portion of your Sabbath in silence and solitude. There's a special kind of stillness that we get access to on the Sabbath. See if you can tap into that.
1: For all of you in your guide, at the back we have a keep going section where you have more recommended reading to keep learning about the Sabbath, as well as a number of exercises for you to adopt as you desire. You're not going to master this practice in four weeks. This practice you're wrapping up is designed to get you moving in the right direction on a lifelong journey from anxious striving to resting in God.
0: It's designed to be integrated into your rhythm of life and for you to come back to every seven days until you die and enter into that Sabbath rest of eternity. Finally, may the God of rest fill you with His peace and presence as you rest in Him.
2: maybe you're here today and the last thing you feel is rest. Maybe your mind is filled with every rebuttal that I can't stop. You don't know my story. And though our seasons might have either crisis situation or having to work multiple jobs to provide or have a little baby born and those seasons are the exception, but... I pray that we would hear the heart of heaven saying that this is just the way. It's how God wired us. It's what he wove into the fabric of all of creation. Now, there was a lot of lies that the devil threw in front of me. And I took a lot of the bait. And I pray that not everyone has a story like mine where they took the bait of darkness. But I can testify and tell you that the lies of Drugs, the lies of sex, the lies of power, the lies of attention. Though the highs were high and the pleasures were good for a moment, they always faded. It never ultimately fulfilled. But as I've been formed in this practice, And I am a rookie at best. It feels like I show up in the karate class of Sabbath with the white belt on, and I've been doing it for 10 years. And every week I still feel like I don't even know what in the world's going on this day. But that is not a reflection of me spending time with God that day. That's more a reflection of the pressures of the other six. It's more of the other lies. So we put on God the lies that somehow he's wanting us to fall in, line with this legalist nature do this no no his whole nature is to love you and set you free whom the son set free is free indeed so there is no freedom apart from jesus and when we accept his grace save me by faith but he's so loving and so gentle he doesn't just want to save us He wants to restore us, those places of trauma, the places where it hurts, places where it's hard. The memories of yesterday that God can set us free. His freedom is unlimited. And each week, and there's moments when we take extended time and we check off the grid But every time I stop, I recognize God is worth all of my worship. And I don't know what you're carrying, but I pray that the exchange would be this. Whatever is heavy, whatever is hard, wherever it hurts, maybe for a moment, don't even think about that. But as Tanika and the team leads us, we just say, God, I don't know how, but I know who. It's not about what you've, done or what you will do or the prayers that I'm praying that is just transactional but it's more God you are the great I am you are love you are grace you are compassion you are and so our soul says this today here I am here I am God to worship and I think worship can move our soul to transform our life that the meaning of this life Jesus taught us love God with everything so friends let's do that let's just say God I can't but you can God I don't know how but I know it's you and we as a people today with all of our hurts and all of our struggles we look to you the great I am and God I pray that you'll be able to do something So unique for every single person here today, that no matter what their story is, that you're customizing it right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, that each person knows you've been speaking to them today. In whom the Son set free is free indeed, in the name of Jesus.
3: podcast, loving you and loving the city one life at a time.